Mark Carroll, and welcome to episode 99 of Carol Pop, sponsored by Revolution Brewing. Our guest this week is a singer-songwriter who likes to sing the blues to hip-hop rhythms on the spaghetti western landscape, ZZ Ward. Full disclosure here, I have two daughters and have inflicted much of my musical taste on them over the years, but sometimes they open my ears to music too, and that was the case with my older daughter Ruthie and ZZ Ward. Awards from her first album, 2012's Till the Casket Drops. That debut, recorded for Disney's Hollywood label, features the adult alternative hits 365 Days, Put the Gun Down, and Last Love Song. The album also includes the Kendrick Lamar collaboration, Crying Wolf. Nobody knows what you say. I mean, you need to. I mean, I know the game that you need you're to. Don't forget and Criminal with Freddie Gibbs. That's a lot of firepower, but the focus remained on Ward's deep, soulful voice, her old-school blues rock sensibility fused with modern sounds and rhythms, and her vivid songwriting with a great ear for hooks. As she explains here, Ward came by this mixture of influences naturally. She grew up in remote Oregon listening to her dad's blues records and sitting in with his blues band. She also was turned on to her older brother's hip-hop albums, and he'd take her to house parties. How did she get the performing bug? Was she nervous to sing in front of people then? Is she now? How did Ward get from small town Oregon to Disney's record label? How did she line up those big name collaborations? What was her major label experience like? Her second Hollywood Records album, 2017's The Storm, hit number one on Billboard's Blues Albums chart. The song Ride not only features guitarist Gary Clark Jr., but also appears in the Pixar movie Cars 3. Fitz of Fitz and the Tantrums guests on the song Domino, and the single Cannonball features blues singer Fantastic Negrito. Album, Dirty Shine comes out September 8th, and much has happened over the past six years. For one, Ward became a mother and talks here about what a profound effect that has had on her music. She also is done with Disney and is releasing Dirty Shine on her own. But this is no low-budget project. She already has released a series of mini-movies directed by her brother, Adam William Ward, as if he were channeling Quentin Tarantino and the Coen brothers in the Wild West. The video for Baby Don't has a sequel in Ride or Die, which features Vic Mensa. The video for Forget About Us leads to On One. After you watch these mini-movies, you'll have the choruses ringing in your ears. also is one of the coolest merch pages of any artist. She's a milliner who sells the hats she makes, including the fedoras from her videos. She designs and then sells clothes she wears on screen as well. In addition, she spends a lot of time interacting with fans on social media, including her Discord. Is it harder or more fun or both to be in charge of everything, all while raising a child? Because so much of this is about family, it's fitting that my daughter Ruthie joined in this conversation to ask Ward some questions herself. You'll hear how generous and thoughtful Ward is with her answers. Please enjoy this Carapop conversation with ZZ Ward. How's it going? It's going really well. I'm, yeah. I'm very excited for this. Awesome. So yeah, this is the this is the first sort of guest interviewer slot in any of my interviews so far. So you're the lucky one. So thank you uh, for coming on, and and thank you, Ruthie. What was the first record you ever bought? I don't know. Like there was I, there was like I was listening to different stuff growing up. Like I listened to a lot of blues stuff through my dad and my mom. Uh, like Muddy Waters, Big Mama Thornton, Robert Johnson. 
And then also I'd listen to rock stuff through them, like Led Zeppelin and the Stones. I would listen to my brother's hip hop CD. So I'd listen to like Nas and Jay-Z. And then I kind of also was into listening to like, you know, Tony Braxton, Mariah Carey. And, um, you know, when I was like eight, <laughs> which I think in some ways influenced the way that I sing in some ways, in some ways. So yeah, it was kind of like a plethora of different music going on. So you're someone who can actually point to dad's music, mom's music, brother's music, melting yeah. pot, and then the way you and then you wait the way you synthesized it all turned into this really cool thing that's your own. But you have pretty distinct ideas of where that all came from. Yeah, I really liked singing, and I think at a young age, like around eight, I think I would sing like in public at different places, like in the choir and. It kind of just, it seemed that I had some gift at that, like even at a really young age where people would like go up to my parents and be like, your daughter can like really sing. And then it was like something I was like, oh, can I like, and then all my friends would like make me sing for them at slumber parties and stuff. So it was like, I, I realized that I could sing. And so there were certain things that I was listening to for vocal stuff that I would just try to like sing like other people. And then the blues was just always playing in my house growing up. Also, what I would, I was trying to like be friends with my older brother. He's six years older than me. I'd listen to his hip hop stuff. So yeah, just like different genres of music. And I can remember how all of them influenced me in different ways. Yeah. Were you someone who was just comfortable performing in other people in front of other people? No, not at all. I get really nervous. I mean, my, my dad always, you know, encouraged me to sing in front of people. I don't know. I'm, I'm thankful he did, you know, he would, he sang too. So he would sing and then be like, look how easy it is. You do it. Which I was still scared to do it. I used to get so nervous when I was like eight and probably between like eight and 16, like where I was like, I would like have tremors, you know, and I would sing like, it would be so hard to sing in front of people, but I still have the courage to try. Like my brother would take me to house parties and he'd be like, everybody be quiet. Like he's going to, my sister's going to sing in like high school and stuff. And I would just start singing. And then everybody would be like, whoa, and freak out. And it was fun, you know, and it was like an adrenaline thing, you know, but at the same time, like, so I would try to do that stuff all the time to get over my nerves. But like, I was really nervous when I was a kid. I think the more you do things like, I'm just, I just want to be honest about it, you know, cause at this point in my life, like, I hope that like other young women are like listening to the things that I say and they're not alone. You know, it's not like I'm, I'll never get nervous. I'm like, go out there and I'm always fine. But I think that like the more attention you pay to being nervous, the larger it makes it, you know what I mean? So I think like the more you do it, the more you go in front of people, the more you play, the more you speak, right. Even just speaking, like if you're doing speeches, people get nervous with that too. The more you do it, the easier it is. And right. nothing is going to make it easier than doing it. You do that all the time. You're so comfortable at it. It doesn't matter how nervous you used to be. At some point, it just goes away, you know? At what point did you think this is something I want to do, not just like kind of for fun on the side, but it's like what I want to spend my life doing? My whole life. Since I was eight. That's all I wanted to do was be a, be a recording artist, be a singer. But I was in the middle of nowhere. I was like in the middle of Oregon. You know, I went to like, I graduated in the class of 68 people. I felt very far from opportunity and things like that. There was definitely a beauty in that because like I got a lot of time. There wasn't a lot of social media then, you know, which I think is a different world for kids. now. I had a lot of time to write. We had a house on like a 23 acre farm lot. It's like, I'd play piano. I'd figure out how to be creative and write music on guitar and piano and sing, listen to music. I don't know if it would have been that way had I had TikTok and all these things, you know, it's like, it's a different world now, but, um, right. Did your friends like, were they like, Hey, let's listen to some, you know, muddy waters and big mama Thornton. And they'd be like, Oh yeah, we know them. In no, Oregon. Nobody wanted, nobody wanted to listen to that. Um, no, it would be like, they want to listen to like Alanis Morissette and like the spice girls and stuff. And I, <laughs> I would listen to that stuff too. You know, when I was a kid, I think I knew all the lyrics to like ironic. And <laughs> of course it was an enormous, enormous album, her album. Absolutely. Um, and like the Spice Girls were huge when I was in like fifth grade and I would like get into it with my little friends. No one was listening to the blues. No, I would sing at talent shows in my school once a year. That's when I would sing. Nobody else would hear me sing except for really that unless they were like a close friend or something like that. But music was always in my house a lot. 
Did your parents have like this big old turntable and speakers in the middle of the living room? Yes. And also like, like multiple Hammond B3s with Leslie speakers. Oh, and- nice. Yeah. Yeah. My, my dad played harmonica when I was growing up and singing. I mean, you know, he, he always loved singing and performing. So that's always something he would do. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of always around me, you know, he would sing harmonies with me all the time. So it was definitely something that was in my, you know, and I sing with my son too now. And I think that it's important for me to like, just, I don't know that I want him to be in music. I don't want to force him into anything at all. Like I'm super conscious of that. Like I want him to do what makes him happy, but I do think that like music is something that's really fun. And so it's a way to express yourself. And so I'm kind of raising him in a similar way where it's just like always singing, playing music, getting out the guitar. You know, he loves to come on my piano and play. And how old is he? He's two and a half. Uh, that's great. Get it early. Ruthie definitely was exposed to music like very, very early. Yeah. Like, so, and I think that's, that's a good thing, right? Absolutely. You know, at some point I'm like, you know, it'll be a long ways from now, but when my son's like, you know, coming out to me and being like, mom, you ever listen to black Sabbath? I'm going to be like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I actually showed him your music. Um, yeah. when I was like 12. Um, very cool. And I have this very visceral memory of being very, very into your music at the time. And you were like doing some performance in Chicago. And I was so, so upset that it was 21 plus, but I was actually finally able, I was at the North Liberty Blues and Barbecue um, the other week. And so I was like finally able to see you in concert and it was just so amazing. Oh, that's awesome. You mentioned uh, stuff about the blues, uh, Big Mama Thornton, et cetera, when you were up there and how that's going to be inspiring a future album and stuff like that. Is is that properly in the works or is that more of a conceptual thing at this point? It's happening. But I mean, you know, you never know what's going to happen in the future. I mean, I, I can't you know, say that it's definitely going to come out, but it's definitely something that I'm I'm focused on and working on, you know, I mean, I'm just trying to get ahead of it. I think that like at this point in my career, like now that I'm an independent artist, I can put out as much music as I want. I can put it out all the time. And I love that. How have things changed for you since uh, not being uh, sent to a specific label? It was like really scary at first, you know, I think change is hard for human beings in, in any stage of their life. But change is inevitable. It always happens. I'm so happy now. I think that it, I really just had to start putting music out and realizing that, like, I know how to do all, all of it. I know how to put out music. I know how to run a campaign. I know how to do all that stuff. I just had to invest in myself and, you know, be willing to throw it all out there. And <laughs> and um, I, I'm in a great place now. I mean, I'm super happy with it. I, I love the freedom that I have. And especially as a new mother, it's an enormous life change. And, um, being able to, I mean, with the pandemic happening and then becoming a new mother kind of in some way, simultaneously, it it felt like the world had changed. Then coming back as an independent artist, you're like, wow, this is like new territory for me. This feels like a new world for me. So where I am now, you know, having just announced the new, the new album coming out, I feel I feel amazing. I feel accomplished just for doing it. You know, I don't know how things will go or how successful things will be, but you know, when I hear my fans reacting and talking to me online, it really feels good. Feels good. So till till the casket drops and the storm, your two previous albums came out on Hollywood records. First of all, how did you get signed to them? And how much did you feel like you had to do what they wanted you to do as opposed to you being able to do what you wanted to do at that point? I had met with a bunch of different labels at the time and was kind of buzzing. And, and, um, you know, when I met with them, I really enjoyed the people that worked there. I was more than like, Oh, this is Hollywood. This is Disney. It was like the people that I was talking to there. Like, um, I was talking to Ken Bunt for like, you know, maybe like an hour and it was just such an easy conversation. And then I found out it was the president of the label. And I was like, that's what I want. I want somebody that's down to earth that I can talk to, they were super supportive. They did so much for me. Um, they really fought for me. Um, I think the pandemic changed a lot of things and, you know, and, um, you know, it's just, it's just a different, a different direction now and a new leaf for me and, and, you know, change takes time. But I think that, uh, 
I enjoy every part of my journey. I'm thankful for the memories I have with them and for how things used to work with them and then how, how things work now, you know, it's different. I saw that you, you worked with your brother on the most recent music videos. Was that right? Um, yeah. how has the music video process changed, uh, since like, I, re- I remember watching the 365 days one, like back when it came out, like how has that shifted things? Uh, I have a lot more control now. Um, uh, also, you know, <laughs> I'm funding things myself. So <laughs> it's like, that's a little different too. Um, but, uh, so, you know, pros and cons. Um, but I think that the way that I started out being an artist was I never really had things handed to me. You know, I would busk, I would sell my CDs in parking lots. I, when I came down to LA, I would book my own shows. I would get people to come to my shows. I would carry on my own gear. I'd set it up. I'd break it down. I mean, what I'm doing now is not foreign to me. It's like, you know, I just had to jump in and go, all right, I'm doing every aspect of it now. So I'm doing the music videos. I'm finding the locations. I'm styling myself. I'm doing my own makeup. I'm booking, you know, for baby don't, it's like I'm I'm hitting up California street bands and trying to get a a van, somebody to come out and let us use a van for free. Like, I'm (laughs) like, you know, I mean, it's not foreign to me to do all this stuff. I think, the beauty in that is I'm working with my brother, uh, Adam William Ward, who has, uh, has successfully done some independent film. He has, um, while he got wasted an independent movie that he made, uh, that I have a cameo in and also, um, three guys in a couch is a show that he made. He's really, really good at what he does and he knows how to do it well. And we just have, he's, he's a hustler like me. We figure it out together. We've had so much fun working together on these music videos and it's just really cool because I can just do whatever I want, really. And he's so supportive of me and, you know, me and Evan or Adam, depending on who was writing the treatment at the time, writes the story for the music video. And then we go shoot it, you know, and our friends come and they act in the music videos. And uh, it's it's fun. I, I, I think it's worth it having more control than um, and being able to really do what you want, you know. Yeah. You mentioned that you were investing in yourself and I was watching those yeah. videos and really the mini movies uh, oh. with, with your cliffhangers and two parters and everything else. I mean, I think you've had what, four or five from this album already. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. They're not like sort of these cheap little indie things. They look like, you know, kill bill part three or something like that. Oh man. Thank you so much. I mean, you know, part, part, part of that is my brother's expertise with film. You know, he gets his friends to come through that have really good cameras and stuff like that. And, also, uh, you know, my friend Nova Rockefeller is another independent artist and lets me use her lights. Like she's amazing and so supportive of me as, as an independent artist um, and kind of like uh, an inspiration to me. And, you know, our friends help us out a lot and we, we try to make the best stuff possible. You know, I mean, I know that like I, I know that like we're competing with people that have major label money behind them and. I don't know. I mean, where do we win? I think in the creativity, you know, I mean, I think when an artist is creating their own music video and coming up with their own vision of what they want behind their song, I mean, that hopefully that really conveys and and has a bigger impression on people than anything money could do. You know what I mean? So are you writing and recording the songs first and then coming up with a video or is it, do you have like visuals in mind even when you're writing the song? I mean, I probably definitely have visuals in mind when I'm writing the song, but uh, no, I, these videos, the songs were done. You know, I think it's different every time. I mean, like baby don't, I think was a little bit more on the nose with like a story that um, very inspired by Quentin Tarantino, as you can tell a story that kind of goes alongside the video. Also for that one, like for baby don't, for example, I was like, you know, how do I get like a location for free? And then how do I shoot it in a van and make that interesting? Right. (laughs) Like what can I do in a van to make it interesting? Literally stretch it as far as we could with like taking the camera, moving it around in different angles. I mean, getting a drone shoot, you know, from up above. I mean, just trying to make it as interesting as possible this last video I just put out today for on one. I mean, this was really fun. Cause I was like, how do I, when we were conceptualizing for this video for forget about us and for on one, I was like, how do I make it more interesting? What's the next thing I do that like keeps people interested. 
And as soon as I thought of like Western, I was like, Oh, Western, Oh, Western. Like that could be, that could be sick. Like, cause I got to bring it with like the outfits. I got to bring it with like the concept. I got to bring it with the location. And then I was like, what if we did like zombies? And so this has been really <laughs> fun because I've been able to kind of like, you know, I've always loved like thrillers and, you know, an action and stuff like that. So I've really got to, to kind of like, include a lot of that stuff in these videos, which has been really cool. Do you like performing in front of the camera? Yes. I I have no fear of performing in front of the camera. I think I'm like, you don't seem I like don't, you do. No, I don't care. I I've never been nervous really. I, I think maybe when I was just starting out, when I first got signed, I can't say that I wasn't nervous or something, but you know, I mean, it's the pressure's off. It doesn't matter how you sound. It's like all about how you look. I think the only thing that would make me feel nervous in the past would maybe be if I had like a director or something that that uh, the communication wasn't quite understood or something like that. I remember when I was on the set of 365 days, actually that video, there was like a, a first AD who was like yelling at me when I was performing and he was like, yeah, get it, get into it. He was like, go, go, go. And I was like, like, <laughs> like <laughs> a lot of take, pressure. Like, yeah. The take like stopped. And I was like, I'm sorry. Can you not, did you not do that? I'm like, that's really, that's actually really distracting to me. <laughs> like, you know, so there have been moments that have been, you know, uncomfortable, but no, I'm pretty comfortable on camera. And also like with my brother, it feels so comfortable. And I feel like I have this new ability to like explore acting and things like that. So I'm doing that a lot more. Um, Sex and Stardust was the first music video that I acted in, in any capacity. And I felt totally out of my element. I felt like, oh my God, what do I do with this? I have no idea how to do this. Cause it was like, suddenly, you know, when you're performing, it's like the music is blasting in the room. But when you're acting, there's no music. It's dead silent on the set. <laughs> like it was so weird for me. And now I'm with doing these videos with my brother, like most of it is acting. So like, I just love it. I think it's so much fun and I feel zero pressure because I'm not like in somebody else's movie trying to prove myself. It's like me and my brother just having fun, you know? So, so you brought up uh, Tarantino. Are there any other like directors or just otherwise people related to film or even like music videos that, uh, you take inspiration from this basically just Quentin Tarantino. Really. <laughs> I think that, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the guy. Oh yeah. I would say, also the Coen brothers. I love that. I'm obsessed with like Fargo and like Raising Arizona. Brothers. Yes, absolutely. A thousand percent. I don't know what it is about this eerie kind of like, I also, I feel like the music that they've always chosen to go alongside their visuals is very, very strong. Um, sure. I mean, like even when they did the TV show Fargo, it's like, uh, the soundtrack that goes along with that is just incredibly obscure and like very, very cool, which is funny because I don't like violence very much, which is very weird. So I don't love violence. I'm like a very empathetic person, but there is like this badassery, <laughs> right. like the Coen brothers and Quentin Tarantino that I just cannot deny. Like, it's just, you know, I mean, Tarantino pushes it a little too far for me. Like he likes that stuff. And so he loves to push the envelope on that. But I, you know, he's, he did a lot of uh, some of his earlier stuff, you know, that I think was, you know, I think really, really an inspiration to me and just different stuff with it, you know, just the visuals going into black and white or making something color it's over the top. Like, I love it. Even in these videos, you're, you're wearing stuff that you made. I mean, t-shirts and hats and everything yes. else. Yes. So. Yes. Hats. I, I really, you know, over time I wanted to learn how to make hats so I studied under a, a milliner for a few years, maybe like five years ago and uh, learned how to make hats. And I really, really enjoy it. I, um, I don't have a lot of, I will say I don't have as much time as I would like to work on them. Um, you know, running my own independent label, making these music videos, consistently putting music out, you know, talking to my fans every day having a two and a half year old. <laughs> right. That's a full-time job right there. Yes, it is. I do not have a lot of time to sit around and sew. So, um, at this point, like I did do a line during the pandemic. I made a lot of, of spring hats of straw hats and very bright colors that I, I loved and I couldn't find anywhere else. Those were the hats that I wanted. I'd be like, God, I want a bright purple hat. Couldn't find it anywhere. So I made it. So I have that line up on my site. And, um, I think in my future, I foresee me, having a lot more time to make hats and things like that, you know, when I'm older, <laughs> but 
But right now I make them for my music videos. Um, cause I'm a stickler on a shape. I have a very specific shape that I like and that I block for myself. And then, you know, I sell those hats usually so that I, I wear the music video, but you have the most awesome merch page on your website because Thank it's you. not, you know, a lot of times it's like, all right, okay. You got, you know, the coffee mug and the colored vinyl or whatever, but you have like hats that you made and you have the mustard color, which is sold out. I noticed, but you got a medium blue, which that one looks really nice. I have to say Thank um, you. lighter blue, you know, father's day has already passed Ruthie, but retroactively. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then you have like the part where you have the stuff that you wore in the video and it's like, here are the sunglasses that I wore and here's the shirt, the t-shirt that I designed. So yeah, like, yeah. like as someone who's been independent, like these are other things that I'm assuming is like, well, how can I make this work? I'm going to have to like take care of my own merch as well, which is a lot of work and responsibility. Like there's a, there's a, yeah. there's a benefit to having other people take care of that stuff. But on the other yeah. hand, you know, as a fan, when you look at it, you're like, well, that's cool. I could get a hat she made. I think that there's a certain amount of like, you know, when you first go into the music industry, I mean, at least when I kind of first went in, it's like 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more ago, like, there's like, you want to keep like the artist, like, or at least I felt like they want to keep, you know, you want to keep the artist kind of ambiguous or like away from people or whatever. And like, you know, and it was maybe cool to have like a website that you don't feel is very personal or anything like that. And so when I became independent, it was like, I don't, I can knock down those walls now. Like I talk, I'm on my discord every day talking to my fans. I wake up in the morning, good, you know, good morning, dirty shine, bam, like every morning, I talked to them pretty much all day long. I wanted to go into my website. I wanted to make it feel like it was me. I wanted to make it feel cohesive with everything going on. So, um, yeah. And I designed my own merch. Um, I want it to be stuff that I feel like I would wear. Uh, it's very important to me. The people want to wear it. And then, yeah, I mean, I have a little thing, things on there, like, you know, stuff I wore in the music videos that people can snag if they want to snag it and stuff like that, that makes people feel connected to the, to the music videos. So yeah, I'm glad that translates. Where would we be able to find the link to your discord? It's on, well, you can go to my link tree on my Instagram and it's on there. And then also like it's on my website as well. And then often I'll post it and I'll be like, you know, join my, like, especially release week every day in my story, I'll, uh, I'll have links to the discord pretty much. And it's weird, you know, cause some people don't use, it was new for me using discord. It's not really that complicated, but I think any new social media feels a little intimidating for people. So I have fans that are like super fans that aren't on discord because it's new to them, you know, it's different for them. But I would definitely say like today I announced my album early on my discord before I told anywhere, anyone else, anywhere else. So there's definitely perks to being on the discord. And plus like, you know, I'm talking to these people every day. So I have certain people on there. It's like, I had a show and I opened from Melissa Etheridge in Saratoga, California. And like five of my discord fam came out and it's like, we were hanging out at the merch booth and like taking pictures together. And like, these are people I talk to every day. So I think discord is a very, very cool way to connect with your fans. So I'm a big discord fan. Nice. So the album's called Dirty Shine and you have that phrase on your t-shirt and, and, you know, on your webpage. What is it about that phrase that you like? Dirty Shine is something that kind of came about uh, when I first started putting my music out. It kind of felt like this. it was like this hybrid of like blues and like hip hop. And like, I think people connected to it because it just, it felt like it wasn't trying to be something that it wasn't. It was just cool and it was grimy. And the shows were kind of grimy and like, you know, we were playing these clubs and it's not super fancy. It's nothing pop or gimmicky. And so Dirty Shine just kind of became something between me and my fans that was just like, be who you are at your authentic self. Like a little rough around the edges, a little dirty, doesn't matter. Just let it, let it shine. Let your light shine. That's kind of like what it's about. And so I think like, like, Dirty Shine Records just felt like a no-brainer to me. And then, uh, you know, we're put, just putting out an album called Dirty Shine. It's just, it feels like the moment that I embrace everything at my core, you know? So going in to record this album, did you approach it differently from the first two? Just with, I'd say just a lot of freedom, you know? I think that, like, um, I just make, I make music that I love that makes me feel badass it makes me feel sexy it makes me feel angry that makes me feel empowered i'm not thinking about what genre it is 
I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about what brand I am. That's like, that's not my job to think about. And in some ways, you know, does that take me off of like out of a category that I need to be in? I don't care. You know, I'm just making music right now. That is an expression of myself. Cause that's what feels good. I love being in the studio. I love making music. Yes. The pressure is off now. And I think that that is definitely something that is, is different. So we'll see. We'll see how people feel about it when they hear it. I hope that they like it. I'm sure some people won't like it because there's always somebody that doesn't like something. And that's what I signed up for. I always have to hear about it. (laughs) You know, I mean, I think even like somebody said on like, I think it was baby don't or something. Somebody was like online was like, I can't stand the auto tune on this. I was like, I appreciate you don't like the song. There is not auto tune on this. Just so you know. Cause there's not, I don't use auto tunes. I hate auto tunes. Are you you someone who like, if you're in a, if you're in a room and 99 people are clapping and one person is sitting with their hands folded, you're going to be like, what's that person's problem? Uh, no, I work very hard on not picking up like energies of like other people. And I think that like, but I do think that like, what I mean by that, what I mean by bringing it up is like, there will be a lot of people that like things but yeah, it is. It is. I'm not going to lie. It's hard as an artist because you're sensitive. You're a sensitive creature. You just are as an artist. You're put, you're putting very vulnerable things out there. Yeah. It can be challenging because people will say whatever they want, you know, and that, it, it, it is kind of hard sometimes, you know, are there any specific, uh, songs or like videos or whatever that feel the most personal and vulnerable to you? Yeah. The dark was a very, very personal piece. Um, I think that was about like my need to want to start to have a family, but the pressure that I felt to not be able to do that, that was an extremely vulnerable song for me. And I think the video kind of depicts that, but it comes full circle. I mean, I had someone that came up to me in my show when I opened for Melissa Etheridge just recently in Grand Rapids. And they were like, Oh man, they were like the dark is like just one of my favorite songs. And it's just, so that's, that's really special when people connect with those, those moments. Yeah. They're all very vulnerable moments. I mean, last love song. Whew, come on. All of these. I mean, there's songs, friends like these, I think is on this, I think is on this album. And like, yeah, that's a song I wrote about like a friend who I felt stabbed me in the back. I mean, like, <laughs> and there are real people that these songs are written about. <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, there's always that too. I try to protect the innocent and I never really use people's names or anything like that, you know. We were never the Marian type. Oh no, we won't buy dishes or stained glass lights. Oh no, for table we'll never sit at. In the house that we won't ever get. It's still summer, folks, and the season pairs naturally with beer. That's why Revolution Brewing has brought us Sun Crusher, a juicy, refreshing summer ale. With bright citrus, lemongrass, and floral notes, the taste is lightly sweet and crisply refreshing. The name is a nod to the Chicago Brewery's solar roof panels, which offset more than 50 tons of CO2 every year. Sun Crusher is available wherever Revolution beer is sold. Look for the can featuring Chicago's North Avenue Beach. Go to at RevBrewChicago on the socials. When you listen to the new album, which I really enjoy, uh, it does not sound like, well, here's your low-budget indie album. I mean, it sounds like a big record with a lot going on and kind of the cinematic scope of sound. It's like this sort of spaghetti western, hip-hop, blues, twangy (laughs) thing. It seems very widescreen to me. And so I don't know whether that's a function of that you could do things more economically now or whether you just like spend a boatload of money recording stuff and you have a lot of great collaborators on here too. It doesn't sound like you cut corners on it. No, not at all. Not at all. But I will never cut I will never cut corners on the music itself. I mean, I'm a stickler. I'm a stickler for the music, you know. I mean, sometimes, you know, if I'm touring, I'm probably going to stay at a shitty hotel, but like <laughs> You're not going to hear a bad recording. (laughs) You know, that's not where you cut. That's not where you cut corners. And you you like collaborating, it seems. Absolutely. I do. I do. I mean, I love other people's talent. You know, I think we always have a a nice handful of collaborators on things. We've had some incredible producers work on this album. And yeah, you know, I mean, I think certain people are very good at certain things that are let everybody do what they do best. 
you know, I mean, S one is an incredible producer, incredible at making beats. And, uh, you know, so he brings something to the table that's different than what, uh, Ludwig Gorenson brings to the table or Mike Elizondo brings to the table, but they all bring something to the table and how good they are at what they do, you know? When you write a song like Tin Cups or Ride or Die, are you thinking, oh, this is, there's going to be a vocalist, another vocalist here sort of singing a duet with me on Tin Cups. You're going to have like a rap from, you know, it turns out to be great Chicago and Vic Mensa on that one. Like, are those in there from the conception or does that kind of happen later in the process? It's different with everything. Tin Cups was, we knew we wanted somebody else on that song and we knew we wanted Aloe and we got him. Um, so that, that one was kind of written with Aloe and me in mind. Ride or Die came about later. So it just, it just kind of depends too. Cause sometimes you share like a couple songs with a rap artist and say like, we want you to do what speaks to you. Like what speaks to you out of these songs? You know, I don't, I don't ever want somebody working on something that doesn't, you know, excite them. It's different every time. On your debut album, there are like a handful of uh, songs with features. Um, how did all of those happen? Like, how did like you happen to collaborate with like Kendrick and stuff like that? Kendrick, I was an enormous fan of. Uh, he was just starting to pop off and uh, he's a very humble, nice person and was cool enough to get on that track. Gibbs was, I was also a very huge fan of Gibbs. I mean, like I remember hanging out with Evan um, way back when Evan Bogart, my, my now husband, and he was like, where are you going? And I was like, oh, I'm going to have a key club. I'm going to go watch Gibbs. He's going to rap. He's like, you listen to Freddie Gibbs? And I'm like, heck yeah, I listen to Freddie Gibbs. I love rap music. And so, you know, Gibbs is one of my favorite rappers. So it's like, you know, we're like, well, maybe we'll try to get him on this song. And he was cool enough to do it. So yeah, it all comes about in different ways. I mean, I worked with Fitz from Fitz and the Tantrums and Fitz is like a big fan of mine, a big fan of my music. So he was down. You never know where you have fans within the music industry and what people listen to you. You just really don't know. Have there been any of these collaborations that sort of I don't know, pushed you in a different direction. Like, Oh, I need to do more of this sort of thing because I'm inspired this way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that like, you know, I love a lot of raps. I think some of the ways that I sing is probably influenced by rap in some ways. Working with everybody inspires me working with, you know, Fitz uh, has inspired me working with Aloe is inspiring in different ways. I mean, Aloe coming out to do that music video with me for Tin Cups. You know, I'm thinking about, what, what he's thinking, how he wants to perform in the video, you know, how he sings. Like it's, it's, it's fascinating to me, you know, how everybody else kind of does their own thing within the music industry. So I'm very inspired by other people. Yeah. When you've toured with other people like Melissa Etheridge this summer and, you know, other tours previously, do you, do you like watch the headliner set if you're not the headliner and do you sort of take notes from that or learn stuff from that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the biggest things. Like you'll watch somebody else's set and you'll be like, what? Like, that is crazy. Like, how are they doing that? Or they're taking the show there. Like, that's such a cool moment. Like you can, yeah, you really got to do that. You got to pay attention to what other people are doing because sometimes performers just like take things to a completely different level. And then you go, what I need to, how do I take things to a different level? How do I make someone have this experience at a show? that really, really blows their mind. You know, I remember seeing, I can remember different moments. I mean, like I remember watching Grace Potter perform when it was like, wow, this is incredible. Like this is amazing all over the stage, vocally, just on point. And then like, I remember watching Fitz. I had never seen him live. And like I was in the green room in Charleston and he came up in the green room during like his encore and he opened the fridge and he just like put his head in the fridge because he was like dripping with sweat from like coming off the stage. And then he like ran back down and he like ran down there. He like jumped on a freaking huge speaker. Like I was like, what is this? Like this is wild, you know? I mean, this is like, my experience with him had been like in the recording studio, just me and him like chilling, you know, this is very like people are completely different when they perform, you know? So yeah, I've, I've learned a lot from a lot of people. And I think the moment you stop learning is probably when your show might get boring. You know, you got to pay attention to what people are doing. Right. When did you learn guitar and what was the first, and did you write your first song on guitar or was it something you kind of came up with in some other way? No, I probably wrote my first song just like singing and not even writing it on an instrument. Um, 
and then I wrote like maybe like my second song on like an organ, and then I started to write. What did they have? B threes. Yeah. Um, I had a guy in my dad's blues band. His name was Mike Kaiser. He taught me how to play guitar. Uh, he was also the vice principal of my high school. <laughs> so like, wow. he would give, he would give me lessons. You know, I think the hardest thing for me with taking lessons at an instrument was like my creativity far outweighs my skill as a musician. And so when I was learning how to play guitar, it wasn't very long before I was like, I'm going to go play my own shows. And I even remember Mike was like, you're not ready to go play your own shows. And I was like, yeah, no, I am. I'm ready to go. He's I like literally go up to Eugene and I just start like playing, you know, I went like out of my town, right? <laughs> hour and a half out of my town playing my own songs, just playing chords. And, um, you know, I think the ability to be able to back myself up with an instrument just took me to a different place of confidence where I was like, you know, now I can like, now I can do this. I have so much freedom to be able to write what I want to write, you know, being able to play an instrument is so important. So do you usually write on an instrument then? It depends. No, I, I, it's different every time now. I really try to be versatile. I think that like the best songs are written when you don't think about them too hard. I might come up with something on piano. I might come up with something on guitar that I think is cool. And then I'm going to come, you know, and write a melody over top of it. It's always melody before lyrics. I'll tell you that right now. That was me. the next question. What's the first thing that gets you going? So it's melody. For me? It's usually, unless I'm like really pissed and like really volatile, feeling very volatile, like sometimes it's lyrics. I got a lot to say, but for the most part it's, it's, or it comes at the same time, but like for the most part, it's melody is feel something to me, like as a language that, that knows no bounds. You know, there's so many different languages that we have. Right. But we all share, you know, if someone's, ah, they're mad, you know, or if someone's like, ah, they're happy. Like we can, that translates, you know? So I think that like what I'm like building a cake, I'm, I'm baking a cake. The melody for me comes first. That's just me. I know everybody is different. Oh, Leonard yeah, yeah. Cohen would say something else. <laughs> um, but, um, and then sometimes like, someone will send me a lot of times, you know, someone will send me a track, an instrumental track with drums, whatever it is, a hip hop, I don't know, rock, whatever, blues, I don't know. And I'll write something over top of it. At that point, you're locked into what a track does, though. So that's very limiting. You have to really like the track that somebody gave, gave you. So I've written all different ways. When you have musicians and you're working with you, do you make demos to play them or do you just play the song for them? Or how does that work? Like when I get ready for tour and stuff like that? Yeah. Or, or, or wait, if you have wait. someone else accompanying you on a, on a track or something like that, you say, all right. Like, okay. To... So if I bring like, it depends who it is. So if I bring like Eric walls, my musical director and, and friend into a studio to play on many songs over the years. Right. Eric's a incredible. It's like, it's like if I went in to go sing something for, for somebody, it's like, I just figure it out and I know how to do it. Right. Um, it's the same thing with Eric on guitar. Like he could come in having never heard anything and he and he can jam, he can play on anything. Um, so most of the musicians that I would play with that would play on my track, same thing with like Thomas Drayton on like all the bass stuff on the first album. He played on all of that stuff. He just come in, we put it on and he just like, you know, it just, it feels it like on the spot. There's so many talented musicians though in LA. They're not from a lot of them aren't from LA. A lot of right. them from all over the US, down south. They come here. I've I've been very fortunate to work with incredible musicians. Yeah. Do you write anytime or do you do you need a project to get you going? You know, it depends what's going on. I think that like there are different modes. I think that like writing is very introspective for me. It's very introverted. I don't like to write around anybody else if they're not writing with me. Like if somebody's outside the room and they can hear me, like I never wrote on tour. Cause I was always like, I'm going to be like writing about how pissed off I am that like, you know, somebody on the tour and like they're right outside the room. Like that's what I write. <laughs> I write about things that I, that are going on in my life. You know, um, I don't write like fake love songs about, you know, things that aren't true. Everything that I write about is, is real. So like, I need a lot of space to write. So it just kind of depends like what's going on. Um, what part of things I'm working on, you know, I mean, we're doing a lot of promo right now for the tour, working on the music videos. It's definitely a different hat to wear. So it just depends kind of what's going on. But sometimes 
the only way I can feel better about something is to write a song about it. You know, I can't like sometimes, especially when something makes me really mad or really upset. Oh man, I just can't get it out of my body unless I write about it. So that's something I know that I'll always have to deal with <laughs> in my life. And how much, you know, when, when the song is done, like how often, how close is it usually to the way you envisioned it? Because again, there's usually a lot going on in terms of the atmosphere and, and everything else. Does it, does it change a lot from when you write it to when it gets recorded and mastered? No, I think that the way that I've always written is a very, it's very pure, especially it depends on how I'm writing. Like if I write something by myself in a room, piano or guitar, it's so strong by itself. But usually I've been fortunate enough because you could always give these things to people that overproduce things or push you in a direction. Those people are definitely out there. I've been fortunate enough to work with people that are very supportive. And here I won't work with a producer that doesn't really value what they hear at my core. They hear the songs and really connect with them. Like if I work with somebody and like maybe they're, oh, okay, this is cool, but we should you know, change this, 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 and this, and this. That's not going to make me want to work with someone. I like right. when I play my first re- album for a producer before they work on it, like nephew, man, we played, put the gun down. I played, put the gun down on guitar. Nephew ran over to the keyboard. He's playing the keys. He was rocking out. We were playing that song. We recorded that song. It was done. That was that fast because he just felt the energy and he expanded that energy. You know what I mean? So I've been, like I say, I, I'm fortunate enough to work with people that have been very supportive of how I write. And what's your most happy place? Is it when a song comes together in the studio and you can like listen to it? Or is it when you're on stage playing something and having that interaction? I think that like, it feels great when people hear stuff, either on recording and like they really connect with it and they really like it. That feels really great. Because even when you finish it, like, you don't usually when I finish a song, everybody's different. When I, I don't listen to it a bunch unless I'm mixing it or mastering it. Like after this album goes out, I'm not going to listen to it. Anymore. <laughs> like I just don't. I mean, like to me, I said what I wanted to say. I'm giving that away, you know, to the universe and whatever happens with it happens with it. Do you go back to the first two albums and listen to them and say, Oh, you know, that sounds good. Or, Oh, I can't listen to this. I think I've gone back to the first time I'm once in my, in my car and listened to a couple of songs. That's about it. Honestly, I know that's, cr- that sounds crazy, but that's the extent of it. I don't go back and listen to my, my stuff. When you did, how did it sound to you? Was it painful? Is that why you stopped? Or were you just like, Oh, this sounds great, but I don't need to do this. No, it wasn't painful. It was more like I just criticized it in my head. Like, I'll be like, Oh, like I'm such a better singer now. Or, <laughs> or like, Oh, like, that's weird. Like, that's interesting. Like there's not a lot of going on in this song, but it still sounds cool. Like the weird thing is like, I never think about things like what does casket sound like in relation to dirty shine? Like, I don't know. I'm not listening to things and trying to make them sound the same. I left that. I've left that in the dust. Like that is what it is. You know what I mean? Like that was the hardest thing ever to put out a second album. Everybody's comparing it to the first thing. It's like, whatever. Like, you know, I just write songs and like, they end up where they end up. I mean, so I'm really thankful I'm on my third album. (laughs) Did having a kid before making the third album, did that change? You know, I mean, obviously it changes you fundamentally. Are you aware of like maybe how that might've changed you in terms of being an artist and doing this? Yeah, I probably will curse less (laughs) in so many ways. I, I can't even explain to you how much having a child has changed my life and in the best ways. Um, and also in ways that how much I've had, you know, how much I, I sacrifice and how it just becomes something you do. And you don't even, you don't even think about it. I mean, that's just, that's just your life. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I think that one of the best things is like, it's really important to me to show my son that like his mama worked really hard. His mama was a fighter. You know what I mean? Cause at the end of the day, success is out of my hands. I don't, I don't know, you know, I don't know what, what's going to work. What's not going to work. I can't, I I can't predict what people are going to like, but I can control whether I get up and I keep going and I keep fighting for my music. And that's something I have definitely done this year and the last 
two and a half years of his life. I mean, even this bringing him to shows, having him on the stage with headphones on. I mean, you know, I'm bringing him on the tour bus with me in the fall, you know, and for him to look back at those photos and know he was on tour with his mama. I don't know that he's going to be in music. I, mean, I don't care if he is, but I want him to see how hard I work and how hard I fight mm. for things and how, if you find something you love to do, to be passionate and be fearless and go for it. That, that to me is like, makes me feel really proud. That's fantastic. Ruthie, you got any other questions you want to ask? Nothing that comes to mind, but this has been an amazing conversation and I appreciate being part of it a lot. Thank you. Is there anything else that you like would like to answer things that come to mind as like things that you want the world to know about, like your process or how you think about your art or any of that? Um, I would just say like, there is a lot of different facets to my art. Like if you're listening to the album when it comes out or you're listening to the song on one, go watch the music video. There's a lot of content out there. There's a lot of music videos. You would just get so much more. If you do some digging, you know, go check out my website, you know, go join my discord, come say what's up, come out on the tour. You know, there's, you know, you can just go to the show if you want. We have, we have VIP on the tour. People can come meet me. There's premium VIP. I'm playing private little private shows for people. Um, there's a lot of stuff out there, a lot of ways to interact with me. So that's the only thing I would leave you guys with for the listeners. It's like, check out the music, but it's so much more than just the music at this point. It's so interactive and there's a lot of opportunities to kind of, you know, get to know who I am and stay in touch with me. So you could buy the hat that you made. You could could buy the the sunglasses that you wore. You could buy the shirt that you made and wore in a video. And then you can watch the video and then come to the show and go to the VIP. I mean, you, you have a lot of connection points, way more than your average artist. And, and obviously you're working to sort of, you're figuring out different ways to make it work. And that's, that's really cool to sort of see that sort of energy and spirit put into bringing that creativity to the other aspects of it as well. You know, it's interesting. We live in a world of like, you know, TikTok is enormous now. And there are people that it's like, you might see them on social media every day, but you might lose that thing where you go see them play a show. You go see them, you know, play music in real life. And I think that that is something that's special and unique to our, you know, my music that it's not just, you know, these things that are like these music videos, these things that you can see online. It's like, you can come to a show and we're going to play two hours. We're going to play a role that there's both sides of it, you know? Yeah. You're coming to the park West in Chicago in September. So I I already put that in my calendar. I got to go to that one. That'll be a great place to hear you too, because it sounds really crisp there. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I'm really in, enjoying the album and, uh, you know, I'm excited for other people to get to hear it. And the videos have been awesome. And, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing whatever the next ones are. And it'll just like be my little film festival of your stuff then. Amazing. Thank you guys so much. Very nice talking with you guys. Have a, have a lovely day. That's all for episode 99 of Carol Pop. Thanks so much to ZZ Ward for exploring her many levels of creativity while graciously answering questions from a father-daughter tag team. On top of everything else, she's a mensch. Go to zzward.com and check out her spectacular handmade fedoras and other fabulous merch, as well as her videos and a link to join her Discord. There's also info about her tour that kicks off September 6th at World Cafe Live in Philadelphia, and will take her to the 930 Club in Washington, D.C., the Gramercy Theater in New York, the Paradise Rock Club in Boston, and the House of Blues Cleveland over the following week. Her Chicago date is September 16th at Park West, and many more tour stops follow. Her album Dirty Shine comes out December 8th, and you should definitely check it out. Carol Pop is produced by Chris Swake, who wears many hats himself. I'm Mark Carroll. Please follow Carol Pop on Twitter, at Carol Popcast. You can follow me as well, at Mark Caro, at M-A-R-K-C-A-R-O. Also, visit carolpop.com, where you can find this podcast and enter your email address so you'll hear about upcoming events and episodes. Please share this episode, subscribe, tell your friends, and tune in again next week for episode 100 of Carol Pop. Thanks.